Welcome to Bakersfield First Assembly of God's podcast. We hope you enjoy this sermon. All right. Good evening, everyone. Thank you for those that are here and those that are joining us online, digging into God's Word. How many of you know it's important that we study God's Word? And there's something about having a Bible study sometime in the week where you dig in. On the Sunday morning, it's preaching, and, and it's a proclamation of truth with a call for a response. And that's, that's a great opportunity, a great time too. But we need to have dedicated times of studying the Word as well. So hasn't it been a journey in the book of Job? Oh, my goodness. Yes. I had to resign just to stop it, you know. I just... <laughs> We would have been on going on this for five years, you know, but it's, it's something that every time I've taught it, it changes my life and challenges me and in my faith. And so I hope it's done the same for you. And we've jumped ahead to the final chapters because I just couldn't leave you hanging like that, you know, to, to get up to point and not see what happened. I mean, it's a cliffhanger. Yes, that's right. After 30-some chapters of Job questioning God, God finally answered Job. This is what Job wanted. God, come down here and talk to me. He kept saying it over and over again. And so God did. God showed up in a storm. And it was not like Job expected. So we have, God answered Job by questioning him. God didn't answer his requests or his complaints. Instead of showing up and giving these answers, God says, he basically asks two questions. Number one, who are you? Who is this that darkens my counsel, God says. So that's the first thing he asks Job, who do you think you are? The second question he asks is, where were you when I did all this, when I laid the foundation of the earth? And you know what, we didn't have time to go into it. But when God begins to describe the different animals, some of them, one sounds like a dragon, you know, and so it's interesting, was, was, you know, was that an extinct animal or something that was going on? Others that teach scientific creationism believe some of those mentioned are dinosaurs that were still living. And so it's, I don't have time to go into that, unfortunately, but it's just fascinating where God describes what's going on. in the earth and also with the animal kingdom. So now God has answered Job with a bunch of questions. And so now it's it's Job's turn to reply. And that's the title of our study tonight. Job answers God. Let's look at Job 40 verse 1. The Lord said to Job, Will the one who contends with the Almighty correct him? Let him who accuses God answer him. Then Job answered the Lord, I am unworthy. How can I reply to you? I put my hand over my mouth. Too late. I spoke once, but I have no answer. Twice, but I will say no more. God questioned Job about the laws of nature and the animal kingdom. And these questions lay the foundation of God's omnipotence and omniscience. God is all-powerful, omnipotent. And he's all-knowing, omniscient. Therefore, he is worthy of our reverence. And worship. In fact, let's go back and look at Job's first reaction to all of his problems, where, where it all began. Let's look at it, John 1, verse 20. Then Job arose, tore his robe, and shaved his head, 
And he fell to the ground and what? Worshipped. This is what's so amazing. Job had lost everything. He'd lost his children. He'd lost his wealth, his health. Lost the respect of his wife. He lost everything. And his first response is to fall down and worship. Wow. And he said, naked I came from my mother's womb and naked shall I return there. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. This, is, this blows us all away. This incredible faith. I don't know if I could do that with the loss that he experienced. I don't know. You know, we, we don't know until we're there in that, in that experience. And yet, this shows something about who Job was and the man he was. Blameless, faultless. Now let's jump ahead. So his first response is worship. And, and he blesses the Lord. He doesn't curse God. Remember what the contest was. Satan said he will curse you to your face. And instead of cursing, Job offers blessing. So now, 20 chapters later, well, 29 chapters later, let's look at Job 30, verse 20. I cry out to you, O God, but you do not answer. I stand up, but you merely look at me. You turn on me ruthlessly with the might of your hand. You attack me. You snatch me up and drive me before the wind. You toss me about in the storm. I know you will bring me down to death to the place appointed for all the living. What in, what a difference. Do you see a difference? So let's discuss this. What brought about the change? What happened to falling down and worshiping? What happened to the Lord gives and the Lord takes away? And what happened to blessed be the name of the Lord? What happened? Yes. You've mentioned the key point, time. The difference between these two experiences are time. It's the same suffering, but time has made it harder, just as you said. Time does two things. Uh, number one, it, it makes it more intense. And then, like you said, it, it makes you more, it removes all your um, filters. So Job has no filters. There's no blessed be the name of the Lord filter on anymore. It's like, what are you doing what have you done to me? The longer his problems went on, the more his attitude toward God changed. And this is true. If you've ever suffered with something for an extended period of time, I remember reading about a woman who had a piercing toothache for like 15 years. Now, I can't think of a worse, well, I, I've had kidney stones, so maybe there's a worse pain. But a toothache for that long of time, she literally thought she was going to lose her mind. And uh, so, yes, when the pain first starts and the loss first happens, maybe, you know, we, we are able to endure the short time. But the longer it gets, the harder it gets to continue to speak that way. It's, it's hard. We may first trust God, be in a right state of mind. Because that's the other thing un, unabashed pain will do. It'll start messing with you mentally. And emotionally, yes. Boy, excellent point. The negative influence of his friends. He, 
you know, he was doing good. Bless the Lord, oh my soul. You know, he gives, takes away. Until his friends showed up. And, then, and all his friends said, it's your own fault. It's your own fault. And, and boy, that's an excellent point. Thank you for bringing that up. Time and negative influence. The wrong people. Uh, wasn't this shared at the, at the men's fellowship? What about your circle? Was that, am I remembering that correctly? Watch out for your, your circle of friends. Yes, I. Yes. Yes. It will, and, and you made a, made a good point that, you know, this situation has not gotten better for him. And, and, and it's, how many know that suffering and trials will change you, and not always for the better? Now, we have that choice, but in any given circumstance, especially prolonged suffering, it will change you. And it changed Job. It changed his outlook on life. It changed his understanding of God. Remember, part of this journey is God is trying to correct his theology for the rest of humanity because we all gravitate back toward this. We all are Pharisees at heart. <laughs> and the danger is if Satan can't get you to sin, he'll get you to be legalistic. And so we, we always have to resist this urge to, become, to think we, we can earn God's grace. Or we can, you know, or we're worthy of his blessings and favor. And so initially he had the right response. But time and the influence of other people and the unabashed pain changed him. And the same thing can happen to us. We begin to doubt and then fear and then question and then accuse. God said these things about Job in succession you, you are, you've accused me of, of you know. Now, we, know, we do know that Job did not sin. So we'll get to, into that a little bit later. I don't want to steal my own thunder. Number one, this is a key thing too. The longer God seems silent, the harder it is for us to trust him. There are times where we know God hears every prayer, except for there are a few prayers he won't hear, those that hide wickedness in their heart. And, and men who are harsh with their wives, God won't hear those prayers. But every other prayer, we know God hears. But he doesn't always answer when and how we would like him to answer. And so, what is God, why is God silent? Why doesn't he immediately respond to our question? Yes. Yeah. But if you take time, if you're given time, if it takes you time before you come to it, then there's a lot more that goes on as far as delving deeper into what was the core reason yes. for this problem in the first place. Yes. We just want out of the problem, but God has something for us in it. 
that he wants us to learn that we will learn no other way. No, it is not. And so if we, and we would treat God like a gumball machine, just, you know, pay off, pay off, pay off. And God wants more than that. He wants a relationship. He's not just a genie in the sky. He wants relationship. Yes. Yes. And I think that, that waiting on him, I think that builds, it builds a trust towards him. I think you're exactly right. We need that time. We don't like the length of time, but we need it if, if we're going to learn to trust God. You know, it's, it's like gravity. Um, we need gravity in life. People that come from the space station, even, they try everything. They exercise where they're up in the uh, space station. You know, they, I couldn't say that. You know, they try to do everything they can, but they always come back. Their bone density has decreased. They, in fact, when they had the two twin astronauts, uh, it actually alter, they were identical twins, and, and it altered one of their DNA, one of the twins' DNA. And he was shorter than his twin when he got back. And, and, and so when there's no resistance and you can float everywhere you want to, then it actually causes us harm. And, and so we need gravity. We need resistance we need time even before, if we're going to learn to trust God. We say we want to trust God, but the only way we can learn to trust God is when there's a length of time of not getting an answer. Yes? Yes. Yes. Yeah. Good. Good. Yeah, that's excellent. It's it's you mentioned maturity. So Jolene, four days a week, takes care of our grandkids over in Ojai, and our our little granddaughter. She is just adorable, but she's got a thing for shoes. And so she'll walk up to Jolene and hand her a shoe, and then she puts sticks out her foot. She wants that shoe on. And, so, and, and, and then she'll take it off and get another, find another shoe, and she brings it to Jolene. Does anybody remember Imelda Marcos in the Philippines? She had like 10,000 pairs of shoes. I'm wondering if you know, this is her doppelganger. But anyway, so she, but if you wouldn't put it on right away, she would get upset. So Jolene's thought, Grandma's not going to have any of that. And so Jolene's requiring her to say, please. You know, you, if you want me to put on your shoe, you have to say, please. So now she comes up and goes, pee, 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 pee. <laughs> but at least there's some growth there because she didn't instantly get what she wanted. She had to ask. And in many ways, God's producing the same thing in us, maturity. And maturity only happens when, you, when there's... A need for endurance. Yes. I, I tell my children, you know, that when they're not, you know, they're, they're saying, Mom, you know, pray with me about this because, you know, we're not getting a breakthrough here. And I, and I, and I do tell them that it's God's way of building your faith. Yes. And your trust. And we do have to remember, too, God is not, he's out 
Yeah, he can answer at any time. Well, and, and there's several causes for prayers not being answered. One is that, like you said, God's trying to produce maturity and trust in us. Other times, it's, it's a spiritual battle, like it was with Daniel. The, prayer, the answer to his prayer came right away, and he was intercepted by the prince of Persia, which was a demonic stronghold in that area that, that the angel of God had to fight through. So, so sometimes it's because the, God's answered, but it, there's a battle in the heavenlies going on, and we need to be, join that battle and, and do spiritual warfare. So, and, and sometimes, you know, the, the answer is just for, you know, our best, and, and God knows the timing is best. So we will all go through times where God seems silent, and that's not a time to back away. It's a time to press in. So ironically, we begin to lose that hope, and yet, as you said, it also removes our filter, and we become bolder in questioning God, and even if we're not careful, it can cross over to accusing. And that's what God said to Job, you, you've accused me. And there are times when we have sincere questions of God, like a child would a parent. But God challenges Job for contending with God and trying to correct God. So how can we know if our questions are sincere instead of accusatory? If we're coming to God with a question, and God's okay with us coming to him with questions, it's just a matter of, is this sincere or is this an accusation? How can we tell the difference? Yes. If you're leaving it in God's hands, you're saying, if it be your will. Yes. You're not approaching him with, I want this. I want it just for me. Answer my prayer. Yeah, our answer for prayer and his will may be the different things, and his will should win over our desires. There, I, I want to teach a series sometimes on, on asking. Remember the Bible says, asking you shall receive. That seems so simple. But there are actually conditions in that asking, one of which is that we are ask according to his will. We, we need to always tag that into tag that on our request. Lord, let this happen if it be your will. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It's our whole purpose on life is to fulfill his will and not ours. And before we were believers, we wanted what we want. But now we grow because we want what God wants. And yet we know that whatever God has for us is better. It's, it's always something. It may be harder, but in the end it's always better. And so how do we check our heart to make sure the question we have for God is sincere but not sinful? Any other, any other ways we can determine whether one is the other? Well, we're all in, in trouble then. Uh, <laughs> let's, let's think about it. Think of a child asking a, a sincere question. Why is the sky blue? That's sincere. Right? And so we may move from God, I don't understand, to God, why don't you care? And so a lot of times we can tell our question based on how we, how we view God, our attitude toward God. One can just be sincere, God, I, I don't understand, so, so help me. To the other is, God, you don't care. And that's an accusation 
of his character. Yes. Amen. And we see it in the example of Christ in the Garden of Gethsemane. He asked, let this cup pass from me, if it be thy will. Not my will, but yours be done. It's okay to ask sincerely, like Jesus did. Please, I don't want to go through this. And there's been a lot of discussion to what did Jesus not want to go through. And there's, there's a lot of speculation, but it Simply, the fact was he was going to take on the sins of the world. And, you know, what a, what a burden that was going to be. Uh, but I also think one of the greatest things he was dreading is separation from the Father. He had never had separation from the Father before. And, and so it's okay for us to say, God, please take this from me. But not my will, but yours be done. That's the condition. Yes. What about asking? I know it's a sincere, sincere question or accusation to ask God, why are you, are you punishing me or why are you punishing me? Maybe the first question's better. Are you punishing me? Because he may not be. But the next question, why are you punishing me? Because remember, who was punishing Job? Satan. Satan. And so I think you're, you're right on the first question. Is it you, God? <laughs> Are you trying to get my attention? Instead of saying, why? Assuming that he is punishing us. Because he may not be. We may be battling the devil. And, and, and I'm going to get to that a little bit later. But Job's accusing the wrong person. Ike? Yes. Yes. Yep. Yeah. And and this is the hope we have. Nothing's random. Our suffering is not random. But there's something God has for us in there that we can't find any other way. Yes. That's excellent scripture. Where outwardly we are wasting away, but inwardly we are being transformed day by day. And so what looks like we're falling apart, you know, or you know, things are going terrible, 
it's in those circumstances that renew us internally. And there may, in some cases, be no other way. Excellent scripture on that. So Job certainly had reason to be discouraged and confused. He had, not, he had done nothing wrong, yet he'd lost everything. We all would feel the same way. But where Job crossed the line, now remember, he didn't sin. We'll find this out next week or two. But where he crossed the line was, been, was when he began to accuse God and take out his frustration on God. And again, I want, you know, I mentioned this earlier, but why did Job at no point think to accuse Satan? Job never refers to the devil. In, in all of this mess, he never once says, the devil has done this. Why do you think that is? Why, why did it never come to, to Job's mind? Yes. Yes. Yeah. And so, you know, who knows who taught Job how to be obedient to those rules and they might have, you know, omitted that part of the reason that we're here. Well, and in fact, it it unfolds for our benefit. Yes. That's a great point. In, the reason he didn't accuse Satan is because he think God, God was this, if I'm good, he has to be good to me. That's an excellent point. And, and, and yet, I think, you know, because they didn't have the whole scriptures, this was the formation of the, th- the theology of Satan. And we don't see Satan as prominent sometimes in the Old Testament. We certainly see him as the serpent in the garden. But in, we don't, and we see that he tempted David to count the fighting men, but we don't really have a full theology of Satan until we get to the New Testament where we understand a whole lot more about him. But you're right, it's all based on his theology. I'm good, God has to be good to me. You know, probably didn't even know there was a devil or believe in a devil, but after it's over, they did. You know, this is how they got the Bible. They, they went through the experience, and I don't think Job was ever the same. He knew there was a devil that, that, that accuses the brethren and causes such terrible uh, tragedy in people's life. And so uh, Job had questioned God, and now God questions Job. And Job's answer is, I am unworthy. How can I reply to you? I put my hand over my mouth. Unworthy means to be slight, small, insignificant, and of little account. So Job says, I'm, I'm of small account. Because when God speaks, we will feel very small. Second point, when God speaks, we will be humbled. So be careful about saying, God, I want you to talk to me. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Brace yourself like a man because you're going to be humbled. We can't help be, but be humbled in the presence of God. And when God speaks, you know, the earth trembles. You know, Job thought too highly of himself. 
until God questioned him. Then he felt very, very small. And now he has nothing to say. Because number three, when God speaks, we will be silenced. What can we say? We're, you know, and we've often said, when I get to heaven, I'm going to ask this question. No, you're not. When you're there, you won't care. You know, all questions will be gone and we will be in awe. Yes. Yeah. We probably don't want to ask God, what does he think of us? <laughs> True. Yeah, we'll be humbled. Yeah. And I, I've often said that we want answers for God, from God, but we may not like the answer. And so sometimes God isn't giving us the answer for our own sake because you won't like the answer. You know, what if you say, God, why am I suffering? He says, you know, it's not for you. It's for future generations. <sighs> I'm suffering for people that aren't even here yet? Well, if that's God's purpose we, you know, and his answer, we, we may not appreciate it. I do think there are times that God does, will never give. He never answered Job. He really never did directly. Uh, he certainly did indirectly. But the answers we think we want will not give us peace. And that's that scripture in, in Philippians that... Uh, he, he gives peace that passes understanding. He, what we need is the peace, not the understanding. Because peace is greater than understanding. You may have understanding and have no peace. It may not give you one sense of peace. Why did they die, God? Why did that happen? Why did I lose this? That answer may not satisfy you. So don't seek answers. Seek his peace instead. Yes? Even Solomon, Yep. Yeah. <laughs> That's great illustration. He knew the answers. I mean, he was the wisest person to ever, and it did not satisfy it. It made him a cynic because when, when we want answers on our terms, it makes us cynical, especially when we don't get the answer we like. So that's a great illustration. Solomon, his... His answers, his understanding actually drove him away from the Lord because he wanted, he had such understanding and it did not satisfy. So I'm trying to condition myself not to just, God, why? You know, why did this happen to just, to just coming to a point, God, I receive whatever you have for me. I receive it. If we can come to that place of surrender, then I think we will have much more peace. Yes. Yeah. And can go after even more full hearted. And so sometimes when you talk about mystery, like it just means seeking. Not in the finding. Finding, that means it's over. Right. Seeking, And that's why there's, if you ever have a prayer request, it's that threefold step ask, seek, and knock in that order. And so if you're facing a major decision, ask, and keep on asking, seek and keep on seeking, and knock until you keep on knocking. There is a time to knock on the door, but make sure you've asked and you've sought the Lord first before you go banging on doors. 
it's, it's a process, yes. To ask God for a sign? Yes. Yeah. Mm. That's, a, it's, that's the key point. Signs and wonders will follow us, not the other way around. We should not be following signs and wonders. They'll follow us. And there are times God gives a sign. And we think back to, to uh, uh, what's his name, Gideon. You know, he wanted the fleece wet and the ground dry, and then he flipped it. And, and so it's, it's not necessarily wrong to ask for a sign, but we may, won't always get one. And we also need to be careful how we interpret the signs. You know, you'd be driving along and a car pulls in front of you with Texas license plates. We're moving to Texas, Mabel. Because I saw a lot, you know, so you got to be discerning how you read the sign. Because that may not be a sign for God. It may just be a license plate from Texas. Yes. Yeah. Amen. And the Bible all tells us prolifically to watch for the signs of the times, of the end times. And I love that scripture, the sons of Issachar understood the times, the signs of the times. And so we need to be more diligent interpreting the signs of the times because they will unfold in the, in the end times. And so Jesus did this all the time with the Pharisees. He shut their mouths. Look at Matthew twenty two forty one. While the Pharisees were gathered together, Jesus asked them, What do you think about the Christ? Whose son is he? The son of David, they replied. He said to them, How is it that David, speaking by the Holy Spirit, calls him Lord? For he says, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under his feet. Jesus is talking about a prophecy about him. If David calls him Lord, then how can he be his son? No one could say a word in reply, and from that day on, no one dared to ask him any more questions. You know, and Jesus did the same thing God did to Job. They would come to him with a question. He says, let me ask you a question. Remember last week, talked about John the Baptist. Was he from God or not? We don't know. Well, then I won't answer your question. And so Jesus followed that same pattern of, of, of God in, in 
if you have a question, he's got a question for you first. So Jesus knew the motives behind their, their questions, and God knows our motives behind our questions. And Job isn't about to say anything more because his mouth got him into trouble. How I many you know sometimes it's better to just be silent? Sometimes we, we think we have to say something. We just have to say something. Even if it makes no sense, we've got we've to say something. But not everything that comes to our minds should come out of our mouths, right? You know, we just, we, we have that, that sense. And I love this scripture in Proverbs 17, 21 from the today's English version. Someone who is sure of himself does not talk all the time. People who stay calm have real insight. After all, even a fool may be thought to be wise and intelligent if he stays quiet and keeps his mouth shut. That's that old saying, you know, if you're, you're thought to be a fool, don't open your mouth and remove all doubt. And so I'm, I'm trying to practice this verse. You don't have to say it all, something, because sometimes as a pastor, I feel like I have to say something. You know, if I'm in any crowd or audience that, you know, I've got to say something profound and from God, sometimes it's better just to be silent. It's, it's much wiser. James 1.19, my dear brothers, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry. For, God, for a man's anger does not bring about the righteous life God requires. Yes. Yeah, it's true. Yeah. Is it going to be taken in the spirit that I'm speaking it? If you just blurt it out, yes, you remove all doubt, or you do stick your foot in there. Yes, and create and make it worse. I think it's a good practice. If you ever have to make a confrontation or speak to someone or, or bring correction, it's always good to write it out first and sleep on it, if it, if possible. If it's a major contention, there's just, like you said, it's more thought goes into writing than speaking. And so it may come to the fact you wrote it out and you're done. That's as far as it goes. Or you wrote it out and slept on it and the Lord says, don't do it. But anytime I've had a real difficult conflict or, or confrontation, if I'm able to, I want to, I want to pray, I want to write it out, and I want to sleep on it. Yes. <laughs> yeah, before you hit that sin button, I mean, I don't know if it happens to you, but I, I check all my grammar and I go through it and go through it and then I hit sin and I see another mistake. Or, you know, I hate, what's that thing that changes your words? Spell check. Oh my goodness, can that get you in trouble? So so you're right, and not only is texting dangerous because of what you say, it's permanent. You know, it's, it's a written record that's right there, so we should be careful. So God says this to Job, would you condemn me to justify yourself? Wow. This is one of the most important verses in the whole book of Job. This is what Job was most guilty of before God, and God nailed him it. To justify himself, Job condemned God. 
So we need to be wary of the same thing because number four, sometimes we condemn God to justify ourselves. It's a, that's the danger that we could run into. And Job did it. He, and he was, he was frustrated. And in, in some ways, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to jump ahead to what Job said at Job 10.3. Job speaking to God, does it please you to oppress me? To spurn the work of your hands while you smile on the schemes of the wicked? And then Job 24.12, Job speaking of God. The groans of the dying rise from the city and the souls of the wounded cry out for help, but God charges no one with wrongdoing. So I want to, there is a time to judge, and I don't have time to delve into that tonight, but I want us to think about this question. Have we, are we in any way justifying ourselves by accusing God or condemning God or questioning God? Are, are we asking the question so that we will look better or feel better? Would we, you know, and I know, I'm sure this was not Job's intent, but by his constant questioning of God, he was actually exalting himself like he knows better than God. And he was, he was arguing with God, you know, that I, this is wrong. You have no right to do this to me. Come down here and answer me. And in so doing, he was actually causing people to lose faith in God so that he could feel better. And God forbid we do that in any way. So let's pray. Lord, search our hearts. Has there any been any, any time or maybe even struggling it right now that we are blaming you so we feel better about ourselves? We don't want to do that, Lord. And though we've never suffered like Job and never will, I pray that in our suffering, God, we would turn to you, draw near to you, and realize that you're there, and you're there with us. And so, Father, I just pray you develop the character in us that you want to see. And, Lord, I thank you for this example of Job. God, he, he's a better man than me. But, Lord, I thank you for his example that we can follow. As we walk this out, Lord, I pray that you would reveal to us your nature, your truth, your will. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. We'll pick up next week. You've been listening to Bakersfield First Assembly's weekly broadcast. BFA is located on the corner of California and Marilla Way. We meet every Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. in person and online on Facebook and YouTube. For more information, Check out our website, bakersfieldfirst.com, or download our app from the App Store.